I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Let me ask you a question, for example. If your husband forgets uh, Valentine's Day or your birthday, do you come right out and remind him? Or are you one of those people who you say nothing about it, but you burn inside and hold it and wait for the next argument to come up and wait for him to figure it out? Where's Anne? Somebody named Anne? Oh, I totally start way beforehand. I mean, two, three weeks, because I get really excited, so I start pumping them up and say, oh, I can't wait to be with you. It's going to be a great day. We're going to have a blast. And then um, if for some reason he would forget, um, it goes totally to the silent treatment. And <laughs> it might last It might last a week or so, and he usually doesn't get it. So <laughs> then it'll have to come out, and we'll have a, what should I say, heated discussion, I guess. OK, OK. Carolyn, where are you? Who's Carol? Yeah, what'd you say to that question? Of, it would hurt me, but I wouldn't say anything. I would internalize it. It would hurt you if he forgot your birthday or Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, it would hurt, but I wouldn't say anything, and I don't think he would even notice that I was upset. Or would have noticed <laughs> that I was upset. Maybe that's why I'm divorced, but you know. Okay, okay. And so you are divorced? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. We we can see that emotional style didn't work for you. It didn't work. Okay, here's another question. You're in a relationship. You're really starting to like the guy. You think it seems so good. There must be a problem. So you find yourself pushing him away to present your, prevent yourself from getting hurt. Claudia said what to that? Yes. No, I uh, tend to panic if things don't go the way I'm expecting. Uh -huh. If he says, I'm going to call you at 5 o'clock. Okay, at 5.01, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And if he doesn't call, then I start thinking, all right, who's he with or what's he doing and why is something more important than me? Uh-huh. So 501, that starts. <laughs> Actually, probably 455. <laughs> Where's Jocelyn? Okay, Jocelyn, what'd you say to that? Uh, I'm married uh, almost seven years now, and I still find myself wondering, when is this great relationship going to fall apart? Because sometimes it feels like I, I'm not deserving of a really good relationship, and I keep worrying that something's going to happen. Yeah, and do you know why you are that way? No, I just feel like that all the time. It, it's oh, in, it's girl, is this things. the show for you? <laughs> this is the show for you. What's interesting about those questions is that no matter who you ask, we all have an emotional reaction to those questions, do you not? Everybody knows what you would or would not do. You might react differently, but we all react out of some kind of habit. Our guest today calls that reaction our emotional style, which is a word now that's going to be integrated in our society. People say, oh, that's her emotional style. <laughs> it's how you behave emotionally. It's fascinating information to know about yourself. And it was the subject of an article in O Magazine. And uh, we came across this book that Tara Bennett Coleman had written. She's a psychotherapist and author of this book called Emotional Alchemy. She identified 10 emotional styles that nearly all of us fit into one or more of them. And she says that we formed our emotional habits early in childhood 
to help us cope with our environment. And everybody has one or many. But now that we're adults, she says it's important to identify, meaning become mindful, because the whole idea as you become an adult, mature, is to become mindful about your life because your style might be hurting your marriage, yes, or your relationships, yes, or holding you back in your job, and ultimately keeping you from living your best life. So Tara, come on up here and join me. This is so excited about your book. Yes. Namaste. <laughs> so excited about this book. Throughout the show, we're going to be asking you questions that will help you identify your emotional style. The book is really important for anybody who wants to know more about themselves. The first question is what Tara calls the subjugation style. And here are three questions to ask yourself to see if this is your style. Okay, are you drawn to people who control you or make decisions for you? Do you feel guilty about having needs or wants of your own? Do you feel resentful when you feel your needs or wishes are not considered? Yes. If those questions hit home with you, you'll probably re relate to Lori's story. Listen to this. I think that a lot of people think that I'm very, very outspoken and straightforward but they're wrong. I hold so much in. What I feel inside daily is sensitivity and love. But as my day goes on, it fluctuates to anger. If I'm at work and a friend is rude to me or gets angry at me, I will just take it and just be become quiet. And on my way home, I will think about it and I will get very angry and wish that I would have said something or think about what I could have said. I asked myself, why? Why didn't I say something? What could happen? Um, I feel like I don't know myself. I wonder why I'm so fearful. I feel lonely a lot, actually, because I feel that a lot of my thoughts are different than other people's, and I don't want to come across wrong to people. I'll just let it go, and I won't confront whatever it is that I might want or, or need. My husband is the one that gets to see the um, dark side of me. So if I come home, my husband can say the smallest thing to me, and I will just completely rip his head off. When I was growing up, I was not allowed to speak my opinion. My father was very controlling because he cared about us so much that he was just very, very, very protective. I don't know what my wants and needs are anymore. I don't think I really ever have. I don't know what I want in my career. I don't know what I want in my marriage. I don't want that insecurity anymore. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about, you said that, uh, before we were talking, you said that you felt controlled when you were a child. Oh, and yes, my um, parents were very, very strict and very controlling, and there was a lot of Anytime there was a confrontation, it was usually in an aggressive manner because, you know, they just, they didn't get along well. Were you afraid? Did something make you afraid to express yourself? Just the, the look and... What kind of a look? A hateful look. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, I mean, my parents loved me to death and I knew that. Of course. But I just didn't like the, um, I felt, well, mm -hmm. rejected, I mean. Often these, uh, these patterns are passed down through generations. And 
you know, for the, for the most part, our parents, they, they're just blinded by their own habits. And yeah. So they just pass Parents them down. are just doing the best they know how to right, do. Right, And everybody, you know, I say this to my friends, with children, you have to do something different with every child. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think what most parents think is, well, we, I'm raising these children, and I hear my girlfriend saying this all the time, I'm doing the same thing with him as I'm doing with her, and he feels one way, and she feels, like, because they're different people. Right. They're different people. Right. So that's why you can have two people or five kids growing up in the same household who have five separate experiences exactly. of that, of that. Yeah. It's true. I know parent mothers are like, how crazy is that? But it's true. <laughs> because you can't speak up for yourself because you feel that if you display anger or somebody gets angry at you, you're going to go back to those feelings. Ultimately, isn't this what right. it is? You're going to go back to those feelings that you felt when you were a kid exactly. when you got the hateful look. Exactly. And that is so That's painful it. to you that you try to avoid that in all of your life experiences. And exactly. also, I don't want to the way that I know how to confront is mm -hmm. in an aggressive manner. Which is what I was done in your household. Exactly. Right. And I don't know. Well, don't want to do that. This, yeah. This... So I don't want to. Yeah. I, so I just don't. Yeah. With this style, you could either be passive or aggressive. It could go one way or the mm -hmm. other. And so yeah. it's good to be aware of it. Uh, once you figure out what category you figure you are in, the idea is to then become mindful of it mm -hmm. to, to be able to overcome it, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, you see if this next emotional style called deprivation describes you. The core belief of the emotional style of deprivation is that no matter how much love or attention you get, it's never enough. This problem often arises from a childhood where one or both parents were so self-absorbed in work, in their own misery, or a problem like addiction, that they did not care or focus on their child's emotional needs. Do these questions ring true for you? Do you often feel that people don't really care about your needs or tune into your feelings? Do you often find yourself in a caretaker role with others? Are you drawn to relationships with people who are ungiving, cold, or self-absorbed? If this sounds like you, you need to stop expecting others to be mind readers without letting your needs be known. Throughout the show, we're asking you questions uh, that come directly from Tara's book to help you figure out which emotional style describes you. You may connect uh, with, uh, more, with one more than the other, like Sarah, who says that she sees herself in two emotional styles, both unlovability and perfectionism. Listen to Sarah's story. When I'm at my quietest moments, and it's just me, I feel like a failure. It's just something that's always been there, that um, since I can remember, that I'm just not a really good person, but I can hide it so people don't really realize that I'm a bad or a mean person. My mom is multiracial, my dad is black, and I was the darkest of my family of five. And my extended family made me feel like I was the outsider because everyone else were lighter, so they were pretty, they're pretty, they're good, and they're beautiful, but I wasn't because I was darker. As a child, I felt very ashamed, embarrassed. I was extremely sensitive to anything anyone said to me. It was showing how inadequate I was and how I wasn't as good as they were. I feel the same way now when I go home. I dread going home, but my, they don't know it. I um, dread when we're all together. Everybody sees how pretty they are and how they are, and I still don't measure up. No matter what I do, I feel like I don't measure up ever to my parents. They do tell me they're proud of me now, but it's, I feel like they're just saying that. They're, they're, they're lying to me. I love you. Love you. You really? My husband, he constantly reassures me. He has to all day, every day. 
tell me that I'm attractive, that he's never leaving, that he loves me, he has to tell me that he loves me, even though I don't believe him. Sarah's empty feelings of unlovability have driven her to perfectionism. <sighs> the way I don't like it. But trying to be that perfect person where I'm worth it. I put extremely, extremely high standards this on myself, on my husband, on my children, on everything around. I'm very demanding. Everything has to be done the way I want it, or it's just not right. Jacob, 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 how many times I tell you have this room to my standards? Dominoes are out. Everything has Why to be put where I want it, how I want it, they go here, or there's a problem. Didn't I tell you to have all the empty clothes hangers to the right? If I were perfect and everything stayed perfect around me, and I did everything perfect, plotted, everything's perfect, then I believe that um, my family, that everyone would love me. Hmm. You may not relate uh, completely to Sarah's story, but other kinds of family situations can cause the same emotions. If you're the heaviest in your family, the shy one, the least successful, and you feel unloved by your parents because you're different. I know a lot of people of the African-American culture can relate to that dark skin, light skin thing. White people are going, what is the difference? But <laughs> we'll explain it to y'all another day. Uh, <laughs> Sarah says that no one knows the real her because she changes herself for whoever she's with. Explain that. When I'm around certain people, whether it's at work or at home, I have to become the kind of person they want me to so they like me. Mm -hmm. With my mother, I have to be intelligent. Mm -hmm. I have to let, I have to say always the, the intelligent thing for her, like for advice. I have to give her advice all the time and it has to be good advice. Uh -huh. With um, my different sisters, I have to say what they want me to say. Like Girls, what? If they call me with a question usually about their marriage or relationships, uh -huh. I have to say the right thing and I have to adjust to how they feel about it. And I can't, I don't have friends because that's just too much stress because I would have to please all these different people. Uh -huh. And I just could, <laughs> I just wouldn't be able to keep up. And it's hard enough pleasing everyone in my family, plus my husband, uh -huh. than to just take some outsider in mm -hmm. that's not in my family to try and please that person also. Because you're just overwhelmed trying to be all these different yes. people. Yes. Really? Yes. So do you, would you know what it would be like just to be yourself? Do you know who that is? No. You don't? I don't know. No. I've adjusted so much growing really? up. I don't. I don't have any idea. Oh, that makes me sad. This makes you sad, too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's not get sad. <laughs> let's not get sad. Okay, let's not get sad. Okay. Okay. First no, that's sad. I, when I hear somebody, that's sad that you, you, you spend your life trying to be something that you're not. Go, help. It's important to empathize with these feelings, to not push them away, to know that for some reason you adapted to this when you were a child, and it made sense when you were a child because that's what To your child happening. brain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when you, but when you're an adult, they no longer serve a purpose. And I wondered if you got a lot of messages that when you were a child, if you did things well, would you be more acceptable? Is that a message that you got? Yes, I had to get straight A's in school, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I had my older sister was the smartest, so I could never be as smart as her as mm -hmm. she was anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how I thought it was. So I would have to get, I got straight A's, um, I didn't go out, I didn't date, I didn't do anything that I saw that my parents didn't like that my sisters, my older sisters or my brother was doing. So I made a point to avoid everything that um, they did that earned them a whipping or a look. So I didn't get 
whipped a lot, mm -hmm. unless we were having mash punishment time, mm -hmm. <laughs> unless we were getting a family whipping. Mm -hmm. um, but, <laughs> I don't know if you know, like, unless you're getting a family whipping. We'll explain that later, too. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Unless I was getting a family whipping, I really didn't earn so family a lot of whipping. whipping. <laughs> Would mean means that everybody would just get a whipping just because? Um, if my dad asked us who did something or whatever, even though we knew who did it, if no one said, we'd have to line up from oldest to youngest, and we'd get whipped in a circle until somebody said they did it. But one time we got whipped for six hours because nobody admitted it. Just mm -hmm. anybody who has grown up and has been beaten. There, there are a lot of emotional scars because you cannot possibly feel good about yourself if people are hitting on you. And certainly if you are being hit and beat in a group uh, whipping. You just, you just can't. And I think, you know, we need to acknowledge that and that's not talking about your parents because a lot of parents did, you know, right out of slavery what they thought, you know, what they thought was best. And so that is a habit that's been carried over, as I see it, from slavery. You do something wrong, the master would beat you, and so you grow up learning, we beat to get what we want. We beat to make our children right, or beat to make our children well. But anybody who has been beaten as a child, regardless of whether your parents said they did it because they loved you or not, has some emotional scars to bear from that. And, and that's just unlovable. the truth. And, and you would, unlovable. why wouldn't you feel unlovable if people are hitting on you? Exactly. Yeah. How can she begin to turn this around? I know you talk in the book about mindfulness, but ooh, this is deep. One, one okay. thing that you can start to do is start to open to the love that is there in your life. Just start to open to it and trust it and let his love in, let the love of your children in and start to believe it. When those thoughts come up, doubting the love, know the, make the connection with this unlovability pattern because if you don't make the connection, then it'll just keep running you and you'll keep believing it and it'll just keep getting reinforced. Those beliefs will just get, keep getting stronger until you challenge them, until you start letting that love in. Emotionally, you can make the connection with your childhood. You can say, I know I have these feelings because I got these messages really strong. I understand why I feel that way and empathize with yourself. That's really important to empathize with yourself. We're identifying our emotional styles, how you behave emotionally, and what you can do to control those reactions. And once again, the most we can do here today is try to help you realize that you have an emotional pattern, all of us do, and that's what Tara Bennett Coleman has written about in her book, Emotional Alchemy. The next emotional style is called abandonment. A lot of people have this. See if this rings a bell for you. I have some of these issues, yeah. You might identify with the emotional style of abandonment if you fear that the people you love the most will leave you. This pattern can have its roots in a childhood experience of being left by a parent, for example, who dies, or a parent who leaves after divorce, or an unstable or emotionally distant parent. Ask yourselves these questions to see if abandonment is your emotional style. Have you had a significant loss early in life that makes you fear losing people? Do you cling to people or push them away? One way to work through this pattern is to avoid getting too close to people who you know can't be there for you emotionally or physically. The next emotional style is called vulnerability. See if you fit into this category and describes those who answer yes to these questions, okay? Do you often have the fear that something bad will happen to you or to somebody you love? Uh, do your fears keep you from doing things that you would enjoy? Are you overly preoccupied with worries about 
health or finances. Lisa is a classic example of this emotional style. In my everyday life, I feel pretty much afraid of almost everything that, that comes my way. My wife worries uh, far too much, I think. Her tension, her uh, anxiety plays a role in every decision we make. Lisa's fear runs our household. To me, it's beyond worrying. It is, it is a downright fear. It's almost, it, it almost paralyzes me inside. You know, everything's good. My life is in perfect order right now, and I always think about things that could come in and, and ruin it. She makes me get up two and three times sometimes to make sure the front door is double locked. I worry about driving. I worry that someone is gonna take the wrong turn and hit me. When I was growing up, the fear was more, what if something happens to someone I love? I can recall when I was five years old, my brother was diagnosed with leukemia. The look on my mom's face when we would go to the hospital, it was sadder than I remember it normally being. It made me feel scared, almost unprotected. I didn't understand what was going on. I think the fear she feels might just be losing control of her life. I don't think it really got bad until Lisa became pregnant. At this point in my life, I am afraid of not being here for my son. I am afraid that something is either going to happen to me or to my husband. And by that, I mean death. Nobody on this planet can give that baby the life that I can give him. And I'm scared that, that I won't be here to give it to him. Lisa's worrying puts me on edge. It makes me tense when I otherwise would not be. It forces me to worry about her. What's painful for me about the whole situation is that I'm not living my life to its fullest. It controls me. I just feel like there's so much more that I could be if I weren't always cautious. Okay, it's interesting where she, you said that you feel like your life is out of control. I'm thinking you always have control of the, by the choices that you make. That's right. Okay. And my choices, I'm so afraid that the choices I make are limited. Like, we don't do a whole lot of things. Really? Yeah. Because, oh. because I'm, well, if, you know, if we go out for New Year's, what if someone drunk hits us and, and then we're dead and, and what's going to happen to the baby? So we canceled plans and stayed home. And you do this a lot a in lot. your life because you feel so vulnerable to the, to the rest of the world. To okay. The world. So you got a lot of messages when you were a kid that you weren't safe somehow, yeah. it seems. But mm -hmm. that's what's so weird about my situation is that I look back and don't, don't remember feeling unsafe. And I think that, you know, the only thing I could find to connect it to would be um, when my brother was diagnosed. Yeah. Let me just ask you this. How is anybody going to grow up feeling whole? Because things just happen in mm -hmm. families right. all the time. Yeah. And so... The fact that, you know, she now has this because her brother went through leukemia and her mother was sad for a long time. How, is, any, is anybody sane? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is anybody, I mean, I don't mean sane. What I mean is, like, can any of us grow up, like, and have, you know, be completely together? Because something happens to everybody at some point. That's why I don't know whether or not to connect it to that point in my life mm -hmm. or if it's just kind of who I am. Can you see that the things that you're afraid of 
when you look back later, you see that actually they didn't happen. Do you ever acknowledge that? I, I always say, thank God it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But you but say that you, you're afraid of something happening. It didn't happen. That do you then look back and say, oh, well, maybe that was my fear. Maybe that was inside. But it's hard for me to quit because it's just bad things happen to people every single day. Murder and rape. And I mean, it happens yeah, yeah. every day. So why wouldn't it happen to me? You really need to continue challenging these thoughts and, and aggressively challenge them. And don't give in to them. Because every time you give in to these thoughts and, and then give in to these actions. What do you mean give in? Believe them. Every mm -hmm. time you believe, let me give you an example how this works. Everybody, you might want to do this. Cross your arms as yeah. you normally would. Yeah. Okay? Feels pretty comfortable, familiar? Okay, now cross them so that the other arm is on top. <laughs> that feels weird, right? That's what it feels like emotionally to change a habit. And you got to get used to it feeling unfamiliar. We don't think it's genuine to cross our arms in the awkward, awkward way. So we don't try. We don't push ourselves. We think, oh, that's not me. That's not for me. But if you actually, <laughs> if you cross them the awkward way enough times, then you form a new habit. And that's exactly what you need to do. You need to gently calm yourself. We, before the show, we did a little calming with the breath. Uh, bring a mindful awareness, a, a full presence to your your breathing, your natural breathing, calm yourself in a situation. And then with a small fear, just challenge a small fear and, and then congratulate yourself after because that's a big step for you to, to challenge one fear, to confront one yes. fear. I was not murdered today. <laughs> yeah. Really? I'm, I, yeah, I used to have this. So, I mean, I'd wake up and I'd go, I'm still, I'm still here. Mm. I'm, I'm alive, I'm awake, I survived that. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's good. Okay, and then after many days, you oh, good, I'm still, so, oh, I, th I think I'm going to be okay. And that reinforces, okay. that reinforces the belief that actually maybe these are more fe my fears. Maybe this isn't what is actually true. We can Yeah, let's just say more. that for all of these, it takes time. We're not saying you watch the Oprah show and you figure out what it is you are. You're having an abandonment emotional style and you're cured. It's constant work on yourself. Mm -hmm. Look at all the years it took you to build up these ideas yeah. about yourself and you need to do mindful work. That's really what the, the book uh, Emotional Alchemy is all about. Alchemy is about is bringing the same kind of mindfulness to mm -hmm. your emotional style as you have been mindless about it all, all of these years. The next emotional style is called exclusion. It might describe you. When you were young, were you made to feel that you didn't belong in some way? Do you tend to feel like an outsider in a group? Do you feel that you are too shy and self-conscious in social situations? I obviously do not have that as a... <laughs> Okay, Kajanda relates to all of these questions, however, and here is her story. I've never felt like I fit into the group. I really don't know why I don't have friends. And even now, at work, a lot of people ask others to go to lunch and I'm never included. I would want to think that people see me as friendly and outgoing and, and loving, but if that were the case, then I'd have friends. When I see girls going out and shopping and having a good time, I feel like, what's wrong with me? Why don't people like me? Am I doing something wrong? Am I pushing people away? 
And I wonder how it really feels to just call somebody and, and say, why don't you come over or, or let's go and do this, let's go to the mall, let's go to the movies. During the high school years, I did wear secondhand clothes and they were longer dresses or they didn't fit quite right. A lot of teens wear clothes that fit kind of snug, but I was not allowed to dress that way. I was really ridiculed a lot. It made me feel a little inadequate, not like the rest of the kids, so I was kind of left out. I fear reaching out. Every incident that I remember where I reached out, in the end, I was rejected. When I look at my children, my five-year-old, he can stay in his room all day and just watch television. And my eight-year-old, he doesn't really have friends that he talks to on a regular basis. And I think he, he has learned that behavior from me. I would like to have trusting, close friends around me. I do feel like the world is going on without me, that I'm being left behind. Anybody here relate to that? Okay, you do. Interesting that you would say that every time you reached out or you felt excluded or that you don't have friends, because I think you are instantly likable. So where does this come from? Is this something you've told yourself? Because what you, what you present, what you exude is instant likability, even just sitting over there before you'd said a word. Oh, really? I, I guess because when I meet people, sometimes I get really nervous mm -hmm. and I start stuttering or mm -hmm. tripping over my words. And um, you are sitting on the Oprah show talking to <laughs> 10 million people around the world and you're not tripping over your words. So you don't ever have to do that again. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But at work, you know, I'm in a supervisor's position and I drop papers or when I'm trying to explain something to my coworkers, I, you know, I sound stupid sometimes and I feel so inadequate or they don't even listen. They'll be carrying on a side conversation and I'll be trying to explain something. Mm -hmm. So each time I try and get a word in edgewise or introduce myself when I go up to a group, they'll continue talking like mm -hmm. I'm not even there. Mm -hmm. So I feel left out, like maybe I'm not good enough. I'm like, well, does my breath smell or uh, is there something out of place or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Can you now see that actually you could Maybe push yourself a little bit into into social situations where you usually would avoid. Well, I, I've tried that. I've tried to get out of myself. And just as I said, I'll go up to a group and I'll say, hi, I'm Kajanda. And they'll look over and they'll say hi and they'll keep talking mm -hmm. and just leave me out. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like I'm just, it's always been that way. In high school, I thought I was part of a group. And they would go places and call me after and say we had a great time and I'm left out. One thing you might want to try is kind of, it's called a mindful reframing, which is challenging your assumptions, challenging the distorted thoughts. And in the situation, you can say to yourself, I'm uncomfortable right now. I know why I'm comfortable. I'm uncomfortable because I have this pattern. I'm familiar with it. You remind yourself, you empathize with yourself, and then you do some calming practice, and then you say, okay, girl, get out there. <laughs> and then you, you push yourself into a situation and, mm. and extend yourself and, and trust that, that after a while you'll get more comfortable doing this. It takes practice, but it's like changing the habit. That's you true. know, it's changing the habit and you'll see 
that after a while you'll get more used to it. Yeah, because a, a lot of us still carry uh, the baggage, but being an adult means that you can take charge of yourself. This is absolutely a new day. That's right. Absolutely That's a new day. Exactly. Yeah. And so part of the mindfulness that you talk about in the book is acknowledging and realizing mm -hmm. that was the past. Exactly. This is now. And taking I didn't have any control then. I do have some control now. Exactly. Because people react to you the way you feel about yourself. That's true. That That's is true. Yes. That's true. Yes. Thank you very much. Once you identify your emotional style, breaking loose from those negative thoughts and uncomfortable feelings can be a long and painful process. Listen, we're not telling anybody that, ooh, I identified my style and now I'm better, because it is a long road. It really is uh, to self-discovery, uh, to living your best life, but it can be the most important journey. It is the most important journey of your life. When uh, Chuck connected his fears to the emotional style of abandonment, it opened up a world he never knew existed and made him feel whole for the first time in his life. I was raised in a family of hard-driven professionals. My dad was at work, and when he wasn't at work, he was unavailable. My mother was working and unavailable, and I was just alone all the time. I felt scared. I felt isolated. I had sort of a sense like there was something wrong with me but I couldn't quite figure out what it was. My biggest companion was the family dog, Pepe. My animals were my closest connection with myself. I've always wanted to be a vet since I was a very little boy. Well, she's been digging at this leg for how long? Even though as I grew up and became a doctor, I functioned very well in society, but my love relationships didn't go very well. I seem to have an uncanny ability in a room full of people to pick the most unavailable person in the room. So my experience of my relationships was constantly being rejected, totally mirroring what I had in my family. My relationships themselves didn't go, and inside I didn't feel good about myself. I remember sobbing and crying and just feeling gasping for breath, just terrible fear, panic when people would leave me. I married a lovely, beautiful woman that I had a lot in common with, but we were never very close friends. She had many of the same characteristics of my mother. It was a very hard time in my life. And I had, to, I was very, I was sick a lot and had stress-related disorders. And that really intensified my search to find peace in my life. What turned it around was a gradual realization that my emotions and the feelings were of a three-year-old that was living inside of me. At some point, it made me aware that the feeling, the longing I had wasn't for a partner so much it was for connection with a family family that I didn't have. Because I'm now aware that I can take care of myself alone, I'm okay. Uh, very hard for me to talk about, but at some level, I feel like I'm a whole person. This is what I've wanted my whole life. This is what I wanted from relationship, but I feel this inside of me now. Now I'm in a wonderful relationship with a warm, sweet, loving woman that accepts me for the way I am. These days I try to simplify my life a lot, take joy in spending a little time with my dog, with my girlfriend. She's a beautiful dog. I love animals and I love to be in the role of taking care of them. All right, more and more I'm talking to people that have animals that are suffering from stress-related conditions. And the people themselves frequently are suffering from abandonment issues just like I had. So in working with the animals, I end up working with the people and point out to them the value of their pets and how they could slow down in their lives. Since I've become aware of my issues, my life has changed dramatically. 
I'm healthier, I feel better, I wake up without all this fear. I feel a sense of peace that I never dreamed I'd felt feel before in my life. It's like a miracle. And I just feel like I'm living in the present moment. That's all we have. That's all there is. Chuck, that was great. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>